Hello, and welcome back to the Self Healer Soundboard. Today's episode is inspired by a recent community check-in in our membership, the Self Healer Circle. Uh, once a month, one of our live events is really open-ended where we join together and really just explore what's coming up for members, for ourselves on our healing journey. And during that particular community check-in, we spoke all about purpose and passion and thought that it would be helpful to devote an episode to discuss those topics here today. Purpose and passion are two of those words that I continue to see as these trending buzzwords. So in some ways, when I understand there are those who will roll their eyes at them, there's also a reason that they're trending. There's a reason that they're buzzwords because people are in search of what is purpose? What is passion? What does that mean? How does that look for me? And why do I feel so stuck and disconnected from it? That series of questioning we see on a daily basis, and I've seen on a daily basis from others for years. So I'm really excited to dive into a conversation and hopefully expand what our initial response or thought is about purpose and passion, because it is something that each of us has innately within us. It's not just for these celebrities or someone who's gone down a very niche or intricate detailed path, and you clearly know what their passion is. We all do have that in some form, and it's made manifest in a lot of different ways that many of us overlook on a daily basis. So I think uh, it would be helpful to just define what these two words are. And essentially passion, a really simple definition is our interest, our desires, um, you know, topics, activities, things that we really simply like to do. Um, and then building off of that concept around interest and we kind of marry in this idea of purpose and purpose really just becomes that then dedication, the consistent action to a long-term goal, usually, of course, in service of our interests, the things that light us up in particular. And interestingly, when I was, as I often do, I looked up these two words just to see how they were generally defined. And um, I found an interesting part of the definition. I think this kind of marries into what you're saying, Jenna, in terms of traditional ideas that we have around concepts, um, specifically purpose. And the second part of the definition of purpose is, you know, continuing on a long-term plan that is personally meaningful and impacts the world around us. And I think for a lot of us, if we're not seeing, you know, that scale of impact, we're not changing the world or really doing something on the forefront, I think that we then diminish the fact that we are very purposeful in other aspects. And I can make an argument actually that when we engage in activities that are personally meaningful, we have no other choice. We will naturally intrinsically impact the world around us. And as we dive into this conversation and kind of explore a bit more of why we feel disconnected um, from our passions and from our purpose um, and get a little more clarity on why that disconnects happens, I think it'll become clear to listeners um, what I'm meaning when I'm saying when we're in alignment, we will immediately automatically impact that world. So it doesn't have to be in the traditional sense of world changing, life changing, you know, wisdom or books or whatever. I think so many of us traditionally assign the meaning to, it can be the ways in which life is personally made meaningful for each of us as individuals. It's such a beautiful angle that I think gives it a lot of traction to look at because each of us in our days are already purposeful in some way. And 
I know I looked at my life for a lot of years and did this external game and thought, I want to impact the world. I want to impact a billion people. I want to impact everyone. So I externalize and I look out there in the world for this impact that I can have not making that connection that any impact I have on the world is done over here internally and in the weather around me as my own puzzle piece. So we are all impacting the world every single day, whether we choose to acknowledge it or not. Many of us are not consciously impacting the world, and that's also completely okay, though our very existence, whether we do nothing or something, still does have an impact around us. I appreciate you kind of acknowledging that for a lot of us, we do um, associate, you know, impact with these external things, these shifts that we're imagining um, that we want to or need to see to feel or affirm the fact that we've, you know, had impact on them. And, you know, to speak to your point, you know, our way of being, the way that we're showing up is like the dominoes. It is, you know, affecting the world around us. and. For a very long time, actually, before I could even think about being purposeful and, and having impact on the world around me, um, this concept of passion was something that was really elusive. I, I would read about it. I would read about very passionate individuals who are able to you know, translate their, their passion into this purpose or these long-term goals and really you know, achieve this, this level of impact. And we really starting with that foundational base, I didn't feel passionate. I didn't know what it was that had interested me. And for a very long time, I thought that maybe I just didn't have that. You know, there were certain groups of people that just naturally felt that sort of internal desire and I wasn't one of them. And it took me to really understanding why it was that I didn't know what I was curious about. I didn't know what I was interested in. Um, one of the first things that Lolly would witness to me, um, not only in myself and my family, is using her language, how none of us had hobbies. I mean, and that was so very true. There wasn't anything I did on the side outside of my obligations, which took most of my time and my energy throughout my life to do anything or to pursue anything that was of interest to me. And I saw that same patterning in my family. And it wasn't because I came to find out Lolly was absolutely right. I didn't have space. I didn't have awareness around what I was actually interested in to pursue in those off hours times because I was so driven to playing the role, to overstepping myself, to not feeling safe enough in my body to even ask myself those questions. So I think it's an important part of this conversation, especially for you listeners out there who, when we even throw out this word, like, you know, passion, you might be someone who I once was, which is, you don't know what that even feels like. If I were to even ask you, you know, what do you like to do? As I was once asked, I didn't actually have an answer for that. And it's not, again, because there's anything intrinsically wrong or different. Um, it's actually an artifact of being in that survival mode where we're immediately just trying to solve the problems or for me, deal with the latest stress at hand. There is no attention that can be allotted to things like curiosity or interest or desire. I appreciate this perspective that you share because ours are, they're very opposite. So it gives to a granted, I know there's 8 billion, however many people, and we're only two of us, though it does give two contrasting paths of this idea of purpose and passion. And one thing I hear you talk about all of the time, and those of you listening, I've read the books or know Nicole's story, so much of her life was in this dissociation, autopilot, completely disconnected. So when we're talking about something like 
passion. Being passionate comes with a bunch of emotions. There's like, you can watch me. My hands are just like moving themselves around my heart. There's an energy there. There's an energy and an emotion. Emotion literally translating to energy in motion. If you are disconnected from yourself and dissociated or suppressing all of the emotions that are occurring, like in your childhood, not having connection to emotion or a connection or attunement to those around you, then you're cut off from that. No wonder Nicole, as little Nicole is kind of looking around like, you know, well, what am I passionate about? What is this aliveness that people experience because there's such a cut off from it. If you don't allow yourself to feel emotions in general, then your body isn't in a safe enough space to then allow itself to feel the experience and the emotion of passion. So it's beautiful how you're saying, no, there's nothing wrong with you. If you don't have access yet to those feelings of passion or that thing that ignites your heart, there's nothing wrong with you. You actually have the entire world and landscape in front of you for you to now begin getting curious and exploring those little pings that draw your attention. Why am I intrigued in that thing? Why did this thing over here excite me? When you choose to become simply aware of the experience of life in general, you'll start to notice those pings or those things that pull your attention. When you begin to have that awareness, you can then choose to follow up with action that explores those things. That's quite literally the pathway to actually feeling and discovering what that passion is. But you have to set yourself up in a space of safety and exploration to even begin down that pathway. It's so beautiful what you're describing here, Jenna, and the words that you're intentionally using, um, things like presence and attention, right? Because before, again, we can even kind of shift into the embodiment of the feelings of, of passion that you're describing. What we typically do notice first is the fact that something does catch our attention, um, the fact that we can be in what's known as a, a flow state, right? Watching something that's really interesting versus watching something that you could care less about, the difference being my attention is absorbed. I'm hanging on every word that I'm hearing or I'm visually, you know, really tuned into whatever it is that I'm seeing compared to something that I'm much less interested in where I could read the same page or listen to the same thing or I'm staring at something and it might as well be my eyes are glazed over. It's those moments of absorption where my presence is seamlessly, almost effortlessly engaged in whatever it is that's happening or whatever it is that I'm paying attention to. Those are the moments for a lot of us that you can even just pay attention throughout your given day. What are the things that just feel more easeful, that absorb your attention, that you maybe like don't hate as much or doesn't feel as effortful as certain other things? And that could begin that journey of then exploring, okay, maybe there is something in here that makes my presence more absorbed in this moment. Maybe there is something that is of interest to me that I can dive deeper into. I love iteration and on repeat in my mind for years have been the words purpose, passion, and power only live in the present. Our lives and our existence only actually occur in the present moment. And when you talk about accessing your purpose or your passion, that's where your power is. Your purpose and your passion and your power 
are only existent here in the present, which is why we are like broken records telling you come back into your body. And when I say telling you, telling you is also telling ourselves. I put a hand on my heart throughout most of my day to come into my body, to be aware because my mind will go. It'll go into a hamster wheel of old stories, or maybe I didn't sleep well. So it's just a litany of self-sabotage and that inner critic up there that still happens. I am still an unraveling and healing human, which actually brings me to a comment that someone just DM'd before we did this episode. I put up a post on my Jenna Weekland Instagram and just said, Hey, we're recording a podcast about purpose and passion. What do you want to hear? And consistently, I got some responses that asked how we can get so entranced in our purpose and our passion that our inner critic no longer exists. And I really appreciate this curiosity and want to extend a lot of loving compassion to all of us out there that our inner critic doesn't become obsolete. And the goal is not to make that inner critic obsolete. It has been there all of our lives, that voice in your mind that usually, if you pay attention to it, is speaking to you in a shaming or unkind, unhelpful way. That is the way that we were shamed or spoken to in a critical way by our earliest caregivers and earliest environments. When I hear that voice go off and I wonder, where is this coming from? I don't have to remember my childhood because I can understand that this voice got so conditioned over time, not from a peaceful, silent experience in childhood, but from the noise around me. My brain was a sponge that then got conditioned to it. Now, if you're hearing this too and you're a parent or caregiver thinking, oh my gosh, I screwed them up so bad or really coming down on parents. No, our brains are malleable. We all have experienced trauma in some way. We also all have the ability to heal that trauma. The adversity from my childhood is hands down one of the greatest gifts that I have ever been given because alchemizing that adversity and the experience of that adversity in real time in childhood is actually what allowed me for some God-given reason to reroute and stay connected to my heart and connected to my body. So my entire life, Granted, I was kind of a latchkey kid and didn't have this codependent family system like Nicole's household may have experienced. So I had me. I had me to follow my curiosity and follow my passion. So from a very young age, I've been leading my own passionate journey by literally following my heart to a degree that those around me, mentors, teachers would say, you know, You have to have a plan. You have to be responsible. You can't just go through life following your heart. And I did heed that advice. I at least heard it, though I also understood the passion and the ignition that I was feeling and chose to venture down that path. I think what's, you know, really important to to have as part of this conversation, which is what you're bringing up here now, is all of the reasons why Right? We don't remain in connection to that inner desire, inner interest, inner curiosity. And most of the, the why lives in that those childhood experiences or our conditioning, the lack of maybe physical safety that we didn't have because we didn't have physically present caregivers to tend to us, the lack of emotional safety. When we don't have a, a adult um, present to us in those moments when we're stressed out or when we're emotionally dysregulated, when we don't have a, an adult more consistently than not 
as a grounded presence for that curious base of exploration. What I mean when I say that is really simply children aren't their adult parents. They're dissimilar in a lot of ways, yet a lot of parents of no fault of their own, often from well-intentioned places, do, like my family, blur those boundaries, right? They make their children into a similar being. And again, because of reasons based in their own childhood, their own physiological inability to be connected or to be curious, because again, those are states of our nervous system. They are impacted, I should say, by states of our nervous system. When we're unsafe, when a parent is feeling threatened by their child's emotions or self-expression, they're not going to be able to pull back and curiously ask why they think the way they do, what's bringing up those feelings and explore their child's unique way of being. They're going to, like all of us humans, be locked in a, in a tunnel vision and a threat-based response, and they're not going to have those curious moments. And then what happens, the less or the more consistently we don't have that safety, we don't have that human to explore or create the container for us to explore ourselves, try on our our self-expression. And for them to be curious and help us along that process, we will still experience a trauma. We'll begin to modify who it is that we are and how it is that we are so much so that without that safety, we'll before very long become locked in our own survival mode. Now for our own physiological reasons, like myself, be unable to even have that base of exploration for ourselves. And you'll become me as I near my 30s, couldn't even answer you what it was that I was interested in because for three decades, I was locked in my own survival mode, born out of that early environment. And on the contrary, my survival mode in childhood allowed me to unleash into a wide open world where by the time I turned 18 and high school graduation came around and everyone tells you, you know, go to college. The next plan is to go to school. Where are you going to school? First of all, I had no money for school. I had no role models for school. I had no understanding of why I wanted or needed to go to school. I didn't know what I wanted to study. It was just so not on track for me, but it's all I heard. And I graduated back in 2005. So this is almost 20 years ago. And this I see this still consistent today. All I heard was, you need to go to school, go to college. Now, at that point, at 18, I didn't want to go to college. I also didn't want to do what someone else was telling me to do because at 18, I was probably a decade in to already parenting myself and being my own parent and making my own choices. So I didn't go to school. I instead moved from New York to Boston and joined a national service organization called AmeriCorps and City Year. And I went right into serving and teaching in Boston public schools and creating these 100-person-led service projects where corporations would come in and I would get to either lead a reconstruction project or a school beautification project and lead these corporate employees as the volunteers doing the actual work. This stuff really lit me up, and I was doing it in community. I was working with underserved children or running after-school programs with these children. I dove headfirst into getting my hands into things that piqued my interest, that I loved. And I look back now at 36, and I'm literally 20 years in to an immense amount of professional and educational experience that go into so many different sectors because what I did continuously was follow 
whatever this strong pull of my heart was. I've said it a million times on this podcast. It felt like fishing line tied around my heart actually being pulled forward. I now understand and I've learned more about the actual power of our heart and our heart coherence and the electrical magnetic field that actually extends outward from our heart. And when we are attuned and in that flow with our purpose and our passion, we are lighting up our heart. We're actually creating new harmonious rhythms in our heart waves that do extend outward. And if you've ever had the experience of being around someone who loves what they do, is so passionate, you can literally feel it. It's so interesting to me to hear you talking about how, you know, you even had to look up the word passion and like, what is that? What do I, what am I passionate about? Because in that respect, you and I could not be, and maybe that's why we complement each other so well, could not be more opposite where even as a child, the one thing I always knew was that I had passions. Jenna was always passionate. I was very passionate about serving people and I was very passionate about community. Now, I can also see, this is again, this innate power and wisdom of our bodies and our heart. The thing that ignited me, that I was passionate about, also allowed me to heal. I was really drawn to serving others. When I give to others, that actually creates a chemical release in my body that helps me feel better. When I did everything endlessly in community or joined community or served with my local community, I was finding safe, like-minded people to be in connection and community with because I didn't have that in childhood. I didn't know that I was consciously choosing that, but my heart did. My heart and my body knew that they felt safe in these environments. So I just continued to follow them and follow them to now at 36, I'm doing to the epitome of what my passion and my purpose are simply from choosing to embody the courage and the bravery of actually taking actions to explore what that could mean. 10 years ago, I thought I was going to be a nurse. I thought I was going to be a nurse practitioner. At one point, I thought I'd be a psychologist. I had a whole array of things I thought I was going to be, and it was never that end result. It was the path and the skills and the experience that I would get to have on the pathway to that end result that allowed me to actually feel into myself and grow into and flourish into myself and live a life now where I am doing exactly what I have designed and created from a very intentional heart space. I want to acknowledge um, the courage and the bravery for you to act in alignment with that. And I think that in and of itself really does explain why I woke up. Um, I came to the awareness by really coming, crashing down in my 30s when I, you know, kind of clicked the final, to do, you know, check mark. Or I checked the final box of this endless litany of achievements that I was seeking a different feeling within. I had this idea that once I, you know, got the PhD, the letters after my name, the license that allowed me to open up the private practice. And, you know, I started to clock consistent hours with clients. Like all of those things make me what? Successful. So success, you know, as many of us are taught, you know, through very understandable reasons, especially if we have parents or come from a childhood where there's any financial insecurity, sometimes we are directly instructed, you know, the professions that will translate to that financial security on the other end. And then we're like, oh, 
carrot, you know, dangling before us as a horse, we're seeking something. And when I, myself, you know, seeking this achievement, seeking this fulfillment, seeking to feel connected to this life, I just took decades, right, in creation of, and very much so seeking that financial security, um, that from my dad's, you know, vantage point, my whole life, you know, was very driven toward, you know, getting the consistent job, getting the consistent paycheck, because he was very much the financial support of our family. So, Understanding where he's coming from led me to checking that final box. And then when I was several months, years into that practice, when I wasn't getting that feeling that I was searching for, I was really left with that abyss. Like, well, well, now what? Um, and then I started to really entertain these ideas. And I even have a moment blazed in my mind to this day where I spoke to my young nephew at the time. He's he's older now, but I professed to him in this dark place. Um, how globally no adult likes what they do, if they're really being honest. And I really like stood by that in that moment because here I was, right? I was so driven, so motivated to go to school for a very long time to do this thing. And I wasn't feeling anything about what it was that I was doing. I was feeling exhausted. I was feeling burnt out. I mean, obligations were really taking over my life. So I really did make that statement. And obviously I now and feel completely differently, though the reality of it was I wasn't living in alignment. I wasn't marching toward being a psychologist in particular because of something that I felt in the room with those humans, those individuals. Now a running joke of my dad um, along the same timeline of where I was going to school for seemingly forever. My brother would roll his eyes. When am I ever going to get my degree? My dad would often profess that he was of the belief that I really just wanted to be a, a forever student, that that's what I was secretly scheming to do. And interestingly enough, I now come to realize my dad wasn't wrong. My internal passion isn't to be, and as many people's are, to be in a room helping, supporting, coaching someone along. My, my actual passion is learning, is being that forever student, is learning new concepts and learning how to apply them not only to my life, though to communicate their application to other people. I'm much more in alignment with being a, a teacher, just for kind of more traditional language, than being a psychologist at all. And that's why I felt so empty because I wasn't in my flow state. I was going to work. I was going through the motions, but I wasn't intrinsically connected to that feeling that you're describing in my heart until I shift it. And this is where it then gets very complicated for a lot of us as we hang our identities, we hang our degrees, we have, for me, even a, a huge um, debt that is following me based on this, you know, very logistical, objective reality, all this money and time I put into this one identity. And now I hear I am shedding it because it wasn't aligned. There's just so much goodness in everything you just said. And when we think of terms like, yes, you're a psychologist, which is fun. I, I register that you're a psychologist though. I also always get a, a a really genuine giggle when people think that the work that we teach or anything that you share or write that you've learned, that it comes from your psychology background. Or I think at like a presentation when we were overseas opened up as, you know, Nicole gratefully shares what she learned in her clinical training as a psychologist with us. And it makes me chuckle because everything that Nicole shares with all of you that is so palpable and relatable and inspiring 
that was self-taught outside of the clinical training. I have watched Nicole have to unlearn so much of what she was trained. And this isn't, I'm not dogging on, you know, the APA or psychology in this country or in general. I understand we have the systems that are set up the way they are set up. I'm not even going into that. However, I do also see what Nicole speaks and teaches and has created and what our work is does not come from being born in a clinical psychology setting. Nicole does have a clinical psychology background, and we are the holistic psychologist as a company, and Nicole is a licensed psychologist, that's true. Though everything that we are teaching has been self-taught. It has been self-learned. And why was it self-taught? Because it was it was true and authentic. There was a curiosity and a ping and a pull. Same reason that four years ago, I sent Nicole a DM and said, hey, we're doing the same thing. Let's team up. Nicole and I instantly teamed up as partners in what we are doing, speaking the same language, creating the same things. I didn't even finish college. I certainly do not have a PhD. And I have a lot of respect for what that takes because school is not something that I could do. I struggle to read sometimes. And I was always very insecure about that. Probably also factored into why I didn't want to go to school. My body couldn't feel it. I couldn't visualize it. I didn't feel that connection. And when I mention all of those things, like being a nurse practitioner, becoming a psychologist, all the markers I had. Those are markers that I learned from my conditioned surroundings that would mean, okay, I'm helping people and I've made it. People will get off my back. They'll stop asking me about what I make. Come to find out, you know, you don't really make that much. Even at those levels, you have to be in it for another reason or you get burnt out and are unhealthy, which is largely what happened. So it was never that end goal of the title that was the path, although I thought it was, I didn't have the language and I thought, okay, I'll just, I'll get to there. I'll make something of myself. But in the process of getting there are all of the stepping stones of my life that are my heart and my passion and my purpose. I went into a lot of different areas. I did go into nursing. I did go into teaching. I did go into nonprofit work and I spent about 15 years a couple year chunks at a time working in these different sectors. Now, each of them didn't then become a wash or a waste of time because that wasn't my path in each of them. When I was teaching, when I was working in bedside oncology with adults and with children, because I'd always worked and taught children. So I thought, okay, well, if I'm going into oncology and nursing and bedside, I also still want to work with children, even if they're terminally ill. I found after a few years that something there didn't align. I loved the connection that I could have. I loved how calm and rooted and how much I could be of service to others and families during these really difficult times. But I also watched myself become wildly unhealthy, wildly unhappy. And that last, those hospital stints that really last career before what I'm doing now was right before I turned 30. And I remember consciously turning 30 and saying, you know what? I'm ripping this bandaid off. I went back to Saratoga that I had been running from. That's where I grew up in New York. I hadn't been back there for a number of years. I went back there intentionally to rip open any of these festering wounds and try and heal them from the inside out because I had 
now been 15 years into exploring different careers, different things that piqued my interest and felt so unhappy and so depressed and so dull. And I couldn't figure out why when all I'd ever been doing was connecting to my purpose. Well, you get to a point where you can be passionate till the day is done If you don't actually create that safety in your body or address it, allow yourself to actually begin healing, then even though I was a passionate child and a passionate adult, I wasn't going to get anywhere with that. I was building essentially on a foundation of sand. So whether you come from an experience of not even knowing what passion is, can't even relate to it, or living your whole life being so passionate but feeling like Why am I still stuck? Why are things not working? You have to go back and address the actual home base that is the world and the weather within so that you aren't trying to build a life on a foundation of quicksand. I think what's so beautiful and hopeful about what you're sharing, Jenna, is for a lot of listeners out there, right? The choices we made, maybe even the work, quote unquote, that you're doing in life, um, you know, how you're generating your income or how you're spending most of your time, that it doesn't necessarily have to be wasted per se. I think a lot of people, you know, especially as we log decades doing one thing and we do become really aware of how unhappy we are, right? Allowing ourselves to use that unhappiness as, as information, as a marker and not shaming ourselves or, you know, committing ourselves to, well, I've already done it for this long. I might as well just keep trudging on. And the beautiful way that you're kind of incorporating all of this experience as part of your learning journey. And to really simplify that, for a lot of us, we have to first figure out what we don't want to do, the things that don't make us happy before we can then feel our way into those that do. And I think even our new workbook, How to Meet Yourself, really um, illustrates this journey. It isn't until the, the third and final section Um, which we entitle Meet Your Authentic Self, where these concepts of purpose and passion even fall under. Because the initial part of the journey, to speak to your beautiful point again, is about creating safety in our bodies, about reconnecting with our physical bodies, with our nervous system, learning how to regulate it. If we are in survival mode, where conversations about passion and interest and curiosity aren't a priority. And then we dive into the mind and all of the conditioning and beliefs and all of the reasons why we might be day in and day out, sometimes for decades, making choices that aren't aligned with that inner self and then peeling back that layer of the onion gives us then the safety, the security, and now the space to begin to get curious about what it is that actually interests us. And so if you are someone who, you know, hears that critical voice come up, is shaming all the time and effort and attention and money and everything that you've put into this career only to really be affirmed that that doesn't make you happy, that it doesn't necessarily have to have been lost time, energy, or resources, that this can be a moment for redirection, redirection to really exploring what it is for each of you individuals. Because I want to go back to something you brought up earlier, which is about the power of the heart. And the reason why I married those two and that definition that I looked up (laughs) um, in terms of when we are in alignment, we have no choice. We will naturally impact the world around us because when we are in that state of heart-brain coherence is what the scientific name for it is, but that state of alignment, that state where you can just kind of become immersed, become present, become in your flow. There is research out there, and we're actually going to dive into this topic next month in the Self-Healer Circle membership um, around a concept called social coherence, which is the inherent power 
of individuals who are aligned in their own heart space, in their own actions, connecting with other aligned individuals and how incredibly powerful, not only from our heart do we emit that electromagnetic energy of coherence, safety, communicating that through unseen signals to other people. When we're doing that and open in connection with someone else doing that, we're naturally impacting them. We're sending them signals that safety that they need to be more safe, to be who they are, to express their gifts to us. So in my my opinion, again, we don't have to say purpose has to be personally meaningful and impact the world. When we are living in our own purpose, acting in alignment with what our heart is saying, we will impact the world around us because we will send those much needed signals of safety to other people, inspiring them to be more of who they are, to find and follow their passion into their own purpose. That happens naturally through the power of our heart. Just got a little misty-eyed. I think purpose and passion are, they're woven into one another. They're intrinsically connected. And it makes me think of this Mark Twain once said, I was born lost and take no pleasure in being found. And I've had that on the cover of a journal for the last 15, 20 years. And I love it so much because I resonate with, you know, being born lost, taking no pleasure in being found. In the same token, I also resonate with being born found and always being lost because one doesn't exist without the other. I can only be found if I was lost. I can only be lost if I can also be found. And I give that example because I see purpose and passion interwoven in that same way. Your purpose is what you are passionate about and what lights you up. I hear that often. Well, purpose and passion. Okay, well, what am I passionate about? Where do I get that feeling? And what's my purpose? As if we each have one card to flip over when we get here that says, you know, this is your purpose in this life. Some of you may believe that to be true. The beautiful thing about us being humans is, While we have ego, we also have free will. We have choice. And where there is a will, there is a way. We all, as human beings, do have a will. We all do have a purpose that is interwoven with our passion. And that doesn't mean that there is one concrete thing, like me doing what I'm doing today was the epitome of all of it. No, I could have been doing maybe 10 different things right now that could still be aligned with my purpose and passion. My free will and my choice is what gives me the ability and opportunity and possibility to choose how I want my purpose and passion to be made manifest in the world. Maybe that means owning and running a global healing community. Maybe that like the self-healer circle. Mm -hmm. Or maybe that means becoming a painter. Maybe that means being a stay-at-home parent because that's what I love. Maybe that's being a school custodian because while so many of us think, oh gosh, who would want that job? Well, believe it or not, many people do. And they don't necessarily look at it as a job. They look at it as being of service to this community, being this invisible force a lot of the time that keeps things running on a daily basis so that teachers and students and everyone who works in a school building doesn't have to worry about their space being clean or kept up or cared for or tidied. There is so much more purpose and impact interwoven into everything that we do all day long as humans 
that I think we've gotten really used to getting into a conversation of disconnect. Like, oh yeah, I'm just, I don't know what my purpose is. It's this floating thing out there, which is actually us also taking zero responsibility for the fact that we do have a purposeful impact in one way or another every single day in our lives. And as we choose to become aware and awaken or be conscious, whatever lingo you want to give it, it's because there's something lighting up or there's nothing lighting up so much so that you feel so stuck that there is this soul and inner wisdom in there that is sending some message to say, hey, listen to that podcast, read that book, spend that time in meditation. Where are all those pings and those voices coming from? They're not from the external world. There was and is something in you that did awaken to enough of an extent that you even chose to immerse in this conversation. So there's something that has piqued your interest. It's a continued road of honoring those things. What does excite me? I spent my entire 20s in three, four different career fields following what ignited me. And I, can understand too. I'm very grateful actually to come from poverty and to come from the environment I did because for me, money wasn't a driving factor. And that didn't hit me until you were just sharing that, how your family, Nicole, that that was a big thing. And I can hear your dad saying that, you know, be financially secure. Finances for me were never something we had. There weren't even, there wasn't money to have any money conversations about. So money was never a goal for me. And as you were sharing that, I realized so many people also have this experience of, you know, it sounds great, Jen. I would love to just follow my purpose and passion, but my family doesn't really allow that. Or I'm already four years into becoming a neurosurgeon because that's what my family has expected of me. And I have a lot of empathy for the fact that many of you who are becoming aware now are knee deep into paths that maybe you didn't choose. So to just reroute now doesn't necessarily feel so easy. And I get that though. You also still have just as much free choice as anyone else. So if there are also young people who are listening to this, or you are a parent or a teacher or a caregiver to young people around you, if you're that adult, model this this purpose and passion conversation by exploring your own. The children of the world today, I have so much hope in because they come in with so much passion. They're passionate about everything. Everything they do is purposeful. It's our conditioned society and life that, you know, over time we just get duller and duller and duller. And then we're writing into podcasts saying, hey, what is my purpose? Hey, how do I connect to my passion? So allowing them to be as they are, you don't have to start to worry, oh my gosh, I've screwed up my young kids so much. They're not going to have purpose or passion. No, they already came in with it just like you did. And now they get to witness you being curious about the things that light you up. They're already doing that naturally. Over time, we live in a society where that gets shunned or turned away from, and you are supposed to, like I was, conform. You go to school, then you go to college, then you go right into a career. If I had done that, I probably would have woken up in my 30s and thought, what is my heart saying? What do I want to do? I would have led a completely different life because I was listening to the roadmap that someone else made for me versus listening to myself. And I do acknowledge that the freedom of growing up with 
without a tight family system or without finances is what offered me that. Though, if you're resonating with Nicole's story or having that pressure, which is really the opposite of mine, don't allow that to then be another excuse as to why you can't shift and change now. Because back then, as a child, you couldn't control the environment. But now as an adult, you are the one responsible for how your environment looks and how you want it to look. I think one of the things that I'm, I feel so hopeful about as well, you know, kind of hearing one of the threads through this conversation, of course, we have kind of connect it, right? This idea of income or finances with this idea of purpose, the thing we do, the career, you know, that we end into. Um, and while that is the case, one of the things, you know, for some of us that I'm super hopeful about, especially future generations is seeing how much more expansive, at least in my opinion, technology has allowed many of us to be, to be able to find ways to generate income based in our unique interests, unique curiosities, the things that we're just good at that decades ago never would have translated into an income. And now with, you know, social media and the ability to share your gifts and talents with the world, a whole group of people now is able to marry those concepts of, oh, I now make money in a way that I'm, you know, in purpose, living in purpose. So I think it's often, it's, it's really important to also offer here the possibility of disconnecting that, of maybe, you know, for different realities, the thing that you're purposeful about, like you were sharing in terms of the motherhood, there isn't necessarily, or parenthood, I should say, there isn't necessarily a income, right, attached to that, though, I mean, in my opinion, that's the greatest, you know, task job, for lack of a better word, that one could could have. And outside of that, for other reasons, you know, for financial reasons, you might have to go into work, quote unquote, doing something that pays the bills, though that doesn't mean that there can't be any space or time for your actual passions. That's where, again, when I brought up the concept of hobbies and right things you do outside of work can be a point where you're modeling, like you're sharing for your children. You're modeling the space in one's life to pursue things that they just are interested in, like to do for fun, light them up that aren't necessarily connected to that paycheck or that financial security. So just want to expand the conversation because I do hear us kind of going back to that connection of finances with living in purpose. And again, honoring the fact that some of us even, I can't imagine decades down you know, from here, what will be possible in terms of to generate income living in purpose, but also to suggest that that might not be in alignment. There might be something that we do daily that we also want to make space to do something else that's of interest or in our passion elsewhere. Which also speaks to the point that you may have many passions and purposes. I certainly know I don't have just one passion or just one finite purpose. So this also isn't a, yes. not a linear thing that fits inside of a box. And I do firmly believe that when you are living in alignment with your purpose and passion, and you have the intention to create financial wealth or financial abundance, that it is what will come forth. I really do believe if we are living in alignment with our purpose and passion and with our heart, then we can create that. Now, it doesn't mean that just simply living heart-led like I have my whole life was going to create abundance. Is that what I ended up creating for myself? Yes. Was that after 20 years of being the opposite of that? Yes. I grew up very poor. I lived most of, if not all of my adult life, broke. 
different. I didn't have money, but my mindset was changing. I no longer had this same poor or lack mindset that I did in my childhood. I was broken that I didn't have finances to even make the core needs or the small means that I needed just to live and to exist. However, in that, what I did not sacrifice, even when I was broke, was following my heart and my curiosity and my passion because I learned, I may not have learned what to do in childhood or been modeled a lot, but I was modeled very heavily what not to do. I learned very early on things that I knew I didn't want to do to my health, to my wellness, to my career, to how I lived my life. So I was very intentional and committed to following my heart, not so much creating abundance or wealth because I didn't grow up with it. I didn't know what it was really like having money. So I also learned that I don't need money to make me happy. It's a byproduct that allows for a very different life and allows me to impact far more people when I use it wisely, but I'm grateful for that disconnection. It also then meant even while being broke, I still found ways to come up with or earn money to set aside and put into taking a course at my local community college that piqued my interest. And I mentioned that specifically because I feel like I am kind of crashing down on college and school a lot. And I see that largely, I see the debt that a lot of Americans have, you know, Nicole's got $200,000 in debt from becoming a psychologist. And most of my friends also have the same. I'm very grateful to not have that debt and to have followed a different path, but it didn't mean it wasn't going to take finances at some point. I just found different ways in San Francisco, in Denver, and in Boston, all these different cities I moved to, one of the first things I did was figure out how long it would take me to become an in-state resident because then I could get in-state tuition rates at the local community college. And I only ever took classes that drew me in or piqued my interest for the sheer pleasure of learning. Now that was 10, 15 years ago. Fast forward now, you can almost do that same exact thing from your phone, which you probably have in your hand right now if you're watching this, or from the laptop or the device that you are watching. YouTube University is a compilation of, I think, the world's genius put into these like God-given videos for us to just Google anything and learn anything we want from all of our fellow humans. So I know that there are a lot of excuses and things that come up that quote unquote, get in the way or stop us or make us feel stuck. And there are, if you're open to it and curious and allow yourself to become clever and resourceful, there is so much free access out there for you right now to just say, oh, you know, painting or gardening, whatever that thing is that I am interested in or passionate about, maybe it is teaching, maybe it's coaching. Start to watch some videos on it, learn something or read a book that ignites you and that you're interested in. And remember that if you're falling short of that feeling of ignition or not feeling that interest, remember first you have to create a safety in your body, which is first allowing yourself to feel emotion in general. If you have cut yourself off and are so dissociated to a point that you don't allow yourself to feel any emotion that's not bad or wrong. However, the work is then maybe literally putting a hand on your heart, hand on your belly, thanking your body 
for its breath and its heartbeat and just beginning to scan and witness the physical sensations of your body that will help you start to get connected to the emotions that are running through you because that energy is going in motion in your body whether you're aware of it or not. And only when you're aware of it can you then connect with feelings like passion and purpose or fulfillment. I love something you you just said here, Jenna, which is, you know, getting creative, right? Beginning to actually widen um, your your vision in a lot of ways to even see other creative solutions to our problems. And I just want to acknowledge as well um, that that's often, I just want to acknowledge that that's actually a function yet again of our nervous system. When we're in survival mode, our focus becomes tunnel vision, we can't see. We can only see the same solution that we've ever, you know, kind of tried to address this similar problem with over time. We become, our vision shrinks down to one possible solution and we lose access to the very powerful part of our brain that can be creative, that can explore new ways of being. And so when we really, again, emphasize how much healing and the body is, is part of this conversation around passion and purpose, I mean, it is foundational, which also then means as we become more healed, as we become safer and more secure in our physical body, allowing more space for our emotions so that we can get curious and explore our interest and our passion and our purpose, it doesn't mean that the world around us, the very well-intentioned supportive friends or family members or other loved ones that are you know, hearing now about our new ideas and our new thoughts, our new expanded solutions, if you will, that are seeing and experiencing us in this new way doesn't mean that they're automatically going to be able to expand their own vision. Um, and I would see this very early on in my own you know, journey with my family as I started to become more regulated, create space for what was lighting me up, and then began to talk to them. And I know that they very much wanted to support me, though because of their own you know, survival mode that they were locked in, they weren't able to see the solution or the route that I saw so clearly. So I think as we're getting ready to end this conversation, it is important to acknowledge that not everyone is going to be able to see and to affirm as we want as humans. I mean, of course we want those closest to us to get just as excited as we are when we are, you know, finding and connecting and living into what it is that is lighting us up, though we might not be receiving that support. And saying that to say, as we get ready to open up our membership, the Self-Healer Circle, we only up, open up for enrollment three times a year. And for both Jenna and myself, um, the reason that Self-Healer Circle is now in creation is what it is is from our own individual journeys of yes, having found each other though, you know, feeling lonely, unsupported, really wanting a community-based space where we could have these conversations, connect with other people who are on a similar journey, who get it, who have the same language and who can show up in more support. So if you are out there listening and you're looking around at your own personal relationships and you are on a different journey and people aren't getting it, um, the self-healer circle might be something you are interested in checking out. You can check out our website and we'll make sure that everything is linked in the show notes for more information and also to jump on the wait list as a reminder, enrollment for the self-healer circle, which opens on May 1st. So that's tomorrow. If you're viewing this or listening to this, the day it releases, um, if not, it'll be open for about 
a week. So if you're listening to this anytime in the first week of May and you're interested again in more information or to join, you can click on the link and jump on the wait list and join our incredible, incredible community. And of course, for all of you listeners, looking forward to continuing this conversation with you on next episode.